Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at Divine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. So, uh, if you'd like to get your Bibles out to Luke... So uh, last week, Andy kind of launched a new sermon series, not that we said at the time, but uh, we're going to be working our way through Luke. And at the moment, we're just going to be focusing in the, in the first uh, Luke chapter two to chapter nine. So we're starting, as I say, a new sermon series called Seeing Jesus. And one of the reasons we've called this is because in this section of Luke, a real key theme is this concept that people all the time are seeing Jesus. They're interacting with Jesus. They are spending time with him. And yet some people see him one way. Some people see him another way. And so as we get into a gospel, which often gets neglected, actually, Christians often don't know what to do with the gospels. We want to come to face to face with Jesus. We want to see Jesus as he is. So if you open your Bible to Luke 2, uh, we're going to be picking up where Andy left off last week after Anna and Simeon in the temple. So Luke 2, 41 to 52. And it says this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, as I say, a a major theme in this uh, section of of Luke is this concept of seeing Jesus but not understanding who he is or even wanting to understand who he is. In fact, if you think about that story that we saw last week about Anna and Simeon, what you have there is a baby being presented and yet they know exactly who it is. They, They see him. Now, it's funny because it's a very similar problem in Luke's gospel that we have today. Today, it seems every culture has their own version of Jesus. We like to reimagine what Jesus looks like. So there's all these different options for what Jesus could have been. You know, you have the classic white European Jesus with his flowing blonde hair. You have the the Asian Jesus who sits in a a temple in in an almost um, meditative stance. There's also the, there's a famous portrait of a a black Jesus with dreadlocks and uh, handcuffs on his hands. And it seems what's happened is 
These cultures have, have thought of Jesus in the abstract. So we know that Jesus is a savior. We know that he is uh, the Lord. We know that he represents goodness. And so what we've done is we've gone, well, what kind of savior do I need? What kind of Lord do I need? What representation of goodness do I need? For many in the Middle Ages, Jesus became a symbol of political stability. For some people, he's become a symbol of liberation. My greatest problem is I feel oppressed, so I need a liberator. For some people, Jesus is not more than a political icon. He's the one who goes around talking about redistribution of wealth. And so what we've done is we've taken what Jesus represents and we've remade him in the image that we need. Now, it's really a very similar problem to what's happening in Jesus' day, except the opposite way around. They have an image of what the Messiah will be like, what the one who they're waiting for will be like. And when they see Jesus as he is, doing the things he does, saying the things he says, they say he doesn't fit up to our image, therefore he is not the Messiah. He is not the one we need. And so they see him, but they miss him. They don't see him. As I say, last week we saw a fantastic example of a couple or two people who did see him when he was just a baby. You know, if you think about the, the words that Simeon said as he sees Jesus, the fact that he says, I can now die in peace shows that even whilst that baby had done nothing, he hadn't shown his divinity or acted in any particularly powerful way, yet just seeing the baby was enough for Simeon to say, I can now go in peace because he knows who Jesus is. And so what Luke gives us in this scene of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy in the temple is really quite a profound scene. It's a, it's a scene that's pregnant with meaning. Luke begins with this detail that they've gone for Passover. Now, when we think of Passover, we often think of uh, the Exodus when, when the Passover first happened and they ate the lamb. And that's, that's true. That is what the Passover was. It was a celebration that Israel celebrated. But if you read what the, the Jews in the first century and, and just before had thought of Passover, it took on a much bigger meaning than that. In the same way that we celebrate Christmas, looking back to Jesus' first coming, and yet for us Christians, Christmas becomes a real time of anticipation for the second coming. In the same way, the Jews at this time were celebrating Passover for the past event that God had done when he redeemed them from Egypt. But in that festival, there was a real sense of anticipation for God to act again for God to send his Messiah and bring the new Exodus, the new Passover. So every time they met, they were looking forward to when that would happen. And so here in this scene, we see the Messiah, the new Passover lamb, the bringer of the new Exodus here as a 12-year-old boy. Luke is painting a very special scene the one who all the anticipation of the ages is, is fixed on, is localized in, as a 12-year-old boy. You know, this is very consistent with the way that God tends to act. God tends to act by using the most unexpected means, by using what we wouldn't use. 
You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that God has used the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Even in the beginning of Luke, in Mary's prayer, you see her saying he has sent the rich away, but the poor have been filled. There's a sense that we, if we know God, if there's one thing we know about God, is that he uses the last thing that we would use. And so that's what we see in this scene. As I say, centuries of longing localized in a 12-year-old boy. You just think about the humility and the unassumingness of, of Jesus in that scene. It tells us a lot about God. I wonder how often we miss the things that God has to say to us because, well, if I were God, I wouldn't have communicated it to me like that. I wonder how many things that God does that we don't appreciate because, well, that can't have been what God has done. Because if I was God, I wouldn't have done that. Even challenges we give, he, he gives us, maybe he gives us to them in an unexpected manner. But there's two interactions in this scene that really show that uh, the people here who are interacting with Jesus really have missed who he is, that they are not uh, expecting God to act in the way that he should act, in the way that we think he should act. And the first interaction is with the priests. And you might say, well, the priests are amazed. They, they are, they're enjoying having Jesus there. What do you mean they've missed who he is? They're amazed by him because he is no threat to them. What I mean is this, this same boy will come back in 18 years' time, and these same leaders are not going to be amazed by him. They're going to try and kill him. So at the moment, he's fine to be amazed at because he isn't a threat. They don't marvel at his knowledge when he's older. They're threatened by him. But for now, he's just nice and innocent. Because he's only 12 years old, the worst he could be is a nuisance. The best thing he could be is a child prodigy. But the one thing that he most certainly isn't is the Messiah. Because if he was the Messiah, they'd have to worship him. And there's no way I'm worshipping a 12-year-old boy. Their appreciation for this boy is shallow. They have missed who he is. They're, they are hearing this amazing teaching at the Passover, the time where they're waiting for God to act, for God to send his Messiah. And he's there in their presence. And all they are is amazed at his answers. But the other person who seems to have missed who Jesus is in this scene is Mary. And I think we can really find ourselves in Mary's shoes in this story because Mary knows exactly who Jesus is in her head. She doesn't forget the fact that she was a virgin when she gave birth to this child. She hasn't forgotten the fact that an angel appeared to her and told her, the child that you are pregnant with is the son of the Most High. She's seen these amazing scenes. See, she has seen a prophet saying, at last, a light for the Gentiles and, and the glory of the people of Israel. She knows these things, but she still missed who he is. What are you doing in the temple? And Jesus' reply says a lot. He says, well, mother, what else am I going to be doing? I'm the Messiah. You know I'd be about my father's business. You know, it's, it's, it's so often that we can know things about God, that we can have the seeds of knowledge in our brain, but like Mary, we don't allow them to sink in and to germinate. 
And for Mary to stop and say, he must be in the temple. That's the only place he could be. This is the Messiah, our son. We know where he is. And so we need to see Jesus just like Mary needed to see Jesus. And so what this, this all means, what it means to see Jesus, is me, it means that we often want a Jesus who thinks what we think. We are rarely happy, happy to be confronted by the true Jesus. We want a Jesus who loves the people that we love, hates the people that we hate, votes the same way that we vote. But what we want is the true Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to be confronted by him, even if it isn't the way that we would have it. I mean, how would you be confronted by a 12-year-old boy? Would you prepare to be admit that this is the most majestic being in the universe? Do we want a Jesus that fits our preconceived assumptions of what he should be like? Or do we want the Jesus of the gospel? If you have a Jesus who loves like you and votes like you and hates like you and thinks all the same things as you, the danger is it's probably not Jesus that you have. It's a mirror image of yourself that you call Jesus. We want to see the true Jesus. And so with eyes of faith, let's see Jesus as we get into Luke's gospel. The second thing that we see in this passage and this comes as a danger of not seeing Jesus for who he truly is, is that we do exactly what Mary and Joseph do here. See, many parents, when they read the story of flabbergasted, how can you go a whole day without realizing that your children are lost? You know, I remember being a child when my brother got lost when we were out in town, and it took probably five minutes for my mum to start freaking out. But in their defense, this is not unheard of. You see, when people in the ancient world were traveling, they would go in huge groups, in huge caravans of people with lots of friends, family and acquaintances, people who they may not know. And it's because obviously they had to walk everywhere on foot. There were no cars. And so walking in a huge traveling party meant that you were safe from bandits and robbers and soldiers that might try and harass you. And so there'd be a large group and as you can imagine, if you've ever gone out for a, um, a, a walk with another family and they have kids as well, that the kids all hang out together. They all play together. And so the parents can just go off the assumption that the kids are off uh, in a group. And so it's really no wonder that they lost him. In fact, most of the parents in that group wouldn't have had a constant eye on their children. They know that they're among the crowd somewhere, and that's enough. Now, in all likelihood, they probably at some points would have looked ahead and seen a small boy playing and have gone, oh, there's Jesus. They'd be happy to know he's there. They've seen the back of his head. That looks like Jesus. That's Jesus. He's still with us. But there comes a moment in this story where they stop and they say, hang on a second. No, this isn't right. Jesus isn't in our caravan anymore. Jesus isn't in our traveling party and once they realize that, they know exactly what that means. It's an uncomfortable realization for them because now they need to turn around, but they need to turn around without the comfort of their traveling party, without the protection from dangers, without the protection from uh, robbers and bandits. They are putting themselves in danger, but they need to go back to Jesus. 
Because the thought of arriving at the destination safely but without Jesus is unthinkable. That's not even an option. So they turn back. They go back with all the risks that are involved because they cannot go on without Jesus. They have to go all the way back to the beginning of the journey if necessary. They've already done a whole day. You know, you, can, you, you can't even imagine one of them saying, are you serious? We have to turn around, but we've come all this way. Can't we just have another son? No, it's not even an option. They turn around because they need Jesus. This problem is not unique to Mary and Joseph. How often do we just plod along in life without even wondering, is Jesus here with me? Am I just walking on like this without a care in the world? Are you plodding along just wondering, maybe I left Jesus behind on this one. Maybe like Mary and Joseph, we're looking into our life and we're seeing something and going, oh, that must be Jesus. Oh, there he is up ahead. Ah, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. We think that we have Jesus on this journey with us, but we don't. I was really convicted as I wrote this. I really felt the Holy Spirit speak to me in a way that I found quite challenging as I heard my own voice say, yeah, I've got Jesus on this journey with me. Haven't you seen how many theology books I've read? Is that Jesus? Or have I just looked ahead and gone, oh, there's Jesus. Yeah, he's with me. But how do we respond to that challenge? See, Mary and Joseph realize it's painful to stop and turn around. You're putting yourself in harm's way. But if Jesus isn't here, then the destination isn't worth getting to. It needs to be done. So how prepared are you to stop and say, no, Jesus isn't here with this, on this one. I need to go back. Somewhere along the way, I've left him behind and I need to turn around. Maybe it's been niggling at you for a while. I don't think Jesus is here, but I really don't want to face the reality of finding out that he isn't. You can't afford to think about what it would be like if you had just gone on by yourself. Because then you'd need to stop and turn around and stop what you're doing. It can be uncomfortable and painful to ask, am I walking with Jesus on this one or have I left him behind? But the challenge for us is maybe we need to find the Jesus that we didn't realize we'd lost. We need to see Jesus or we'll mistake anything for him and not realize we're walking without him anymore. So there's a challenge for us to walk with him, to not make the mistake that Mary and Joseph made. And the last point that Luke finishes this passage with, that he gives us to chew on, as we reflect on seeing Jesus, as we reflect on getting into Luke's gospel, there's a throwaway line at the end of this passage that we can often miss the significance of. And, and the reason it's given is because Luke is, is giving us a clue about who this Jesus is, who Jesus might be as we're getting into this gospel. And so in Luke 2.52, 
He says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is a quotation from 1 Samuel 2, where in 1 Samuel it describes Samuel in the same way. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with God and man. So why this quote? Why this reference here? Why is Luke tying together Jesus and Samuel in this way? Well, in the story of Samuel, Samuel is quite a significant turning point in the history of Israel. As Samuel comes in, even as a boy, he challenges the old system. He stands up to the the high priest, Eli, and says, God is judging your house and it will be left empty. But he also comes in at the cusp of a new thing, a new change. Samuel is the one who anoints King David, who establishes God's kingdom. He condemns the old system and brings in the kingdom. Now, David is the one through whom God made the covenant with that would bring forth the Messiah. And so, as I say, not only does Samuel judge something old, but he also brings in something new. So why is Luke bringing this quote in here and applying it to Jesus? Well, he's doing it because Jesus stands in the same place as Samuel. He's bringing an end to the old system and he will establish the kingdom. The difference being that he won't anoint the true king. He himself is the true king. He isn't just the Messiah, the king. He's also the prophet like Samuel was. He is both the prophet and the king. Now, why is that relevant to what we've been looking at this morning? Well, it's relevant because prophets often say things that we don't want to hear. If you think about books like Jeremiah, what do they do to Jeremiah? Do they receive his prophecies and go, fantastic, God's spoken to us? No, they throw him down a well. They don't want to hear him. There's numerous stories of them having the prophets killed. That was Jesus' great condemnation of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. Prophets say things we don't want to hear. When Samuel said to Eli that his house would be left ruined, you can hardly imagine Eli saying, thank the Lord he has spoken. It's challenging. And so Luke is putting this in this story in order to say to us, be ready to be challenged. When it comes to seeing Jesus, one of the reasons that we often don't want to is because if we see him for who he really is, we find ourselves at a very deep heart level being unpicked and challenged, but with eyes of faith remade and restored. And so the challenge and the encouragement as we come into Luke's gospel is be ready to come face to face with Jesus. Not the Jesus who fits our presuppositions and what we want to see, but the true Jesus who lived and died. The one who says things that we'd rather he didn't. The one who challenges us, who catches us out, who, who does things which doesn't fit our mold of what Jesus should be like. Just like all the other prophets, Jesus will say things that we don't want to hear. But we need to see Jesus, to be challenged by Jesus. Not a domesticated Jesus or a Jesus that we've built, the real Jesus. And so my challenge for us all as we get into Luke's gospel is let's be ready to be challenged by a 12-year-old boy, 
Not that he stays a 12-year-old boy, but nonetheless, let's not assume that he's unthreatening because of the way that he appears like the priests were. Or be confused when he says and does things which are actually very fitting with who he is, like Mary was. Instead, let's be ready with hearts open, ears open, to hear and to see, to be blessed by, to be challenged by, to be built up and broken down by the real Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, our King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are indeed such a challenge to us. Lord, you confront us with the way that you don't fit our mould, the way that we would have you. But Lord, we pray that as we seek to know you more, as we seek to come face to face with the real Jesus, that you would come to meet us. Lord, we pray that this wouldn't be striving on our part, Lord, but we would be met halfway by you through your Holy Spirit. Let us savour every word that you say. Let us be encouraged by every challenge that you give. And Lord, help us build our lives on the Jesus that we find in your word. In your name we pray. Amen.